We're continuing in our message series, Keeping It in Context, where we've talked now the last uh, few weeks about the importance of understanding the context of a verse and a passage as it is applied uh, to avoid the, the pitfalls that so often do take place when we fail to do that and we just focus in on one verse and take it and run with it. Uh, we've talked about that for a few weeks now, and as we continue uh, today, the message title is All Part of the Plan, All Part of the Plan. And we're going to be applying that title to not just this message, but next week's message as well, as we look at that uh, very, very common verse that is taken out of context all the time. Uh, but today, a verse that is certainly familiar to you, and, and it's put all over the place. We see it in keychains, little knickknacks. We, we put it on coffee mugs, on t-shirts. Uh, it's just about every graduation's theme, verse. Uh, nothing wrong with any of that on its own, okay? Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is what I'm talking about. That's a, a very, very common verse. I don't know how many people's life verse it is, probably in the millions. And, and that's fine. That's good. But, but, we need some caution. We need to be alert. There is a danger. There is a slippery slope, a very slippery slope, when we take a verse like Jeremiah 29.11 and we just run with it and we apply it very, very personally we, you know, we make it fit our lives, our circumstances, our situation, and we don't pay attention to what's going on in the context of what is a truly great verse and a great promise. Context is very, very crucial. Like real estate, all about location, 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 proper understanding of God's Word and proper application is all about context, context, context. You have to look at what's going on before the verse. What's going on after the verse. You have to take the whole picture instead of just zeroing in and cutting away one particular verse out of an entire passage. The reason it's such a slippery slope is that when we miss the context, we can make the text say anything we want. There is a, a literal context in mind in a passage of Scripture, in God's Word. And so when we avoid, neglect, mutilate, or miss that literal context, we can literally make the text say anything we want. So to properly understand and apply God's Word, that means that context really is everything. It's everything as we approach God's Word. Here's something that I really want you to, to make sure you understand. Okay, everybody listen, everybody grab onto this, okay? God's Word is meant for us, but it is not about us. That is such an important distinction. I, I really cannot stress that enough. God's Word is meant for us. It's meant for all of us to to have, to read, to know, to understand, to apply, but it's not about us. We can apply the principles, and we should, 
But we need to be very, very careful about applying the circumstances. Because there were specific circumstances with specific people at a a specific time in history and a specific place, none of which we're in. So we need to be very, very, very careful about applying the circumstances of God's Word that we we see and that we read and, and focus more on applying the principles. That's very, very important. So specifically for today, as we talk about this very familiar verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, specifically that means for us that Jeremiah 29, 11 was written for you, but not to you. Okay? Everybody with me on that? It was written for you, absolutely, but not to you. So that means what we all need to do is to step back and see the big picture. See the big picture. Just like we we step back and we enjoy a, a nice big view, you know? We like to see the those grand views like we have here locally, right? That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. We like to step back and see those, those wonderful big views where we get the, the whole picture of a scene, the bird's eye view. And that's what we need to do with all of Scripture, and we're going to do that specifically today as we talk about Jeremiah 29, 11 and the importance of the context surrounding it. So let's do that. Let's jump in together. And considering that we need to look at what's going on before a verse that we are focusing in on and what happens after it, Our passage today is going to include much more than just verse 11. We're going to look at Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14 together. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. And I will be reading from the ESV for this passage. That way you know where where I am and and, uh, can follow along accordingly. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. Here we go. God's Word. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this was written to the exiles, the captives taken from Judah. God had had promised and prophesied that if they did not repent from their wickedness, they would be taken captive to Babylon. They didn't repent. That's what happened. They were taken away. And this is a startling statement, really, that God is saying in this message to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. He's saying, I, I want you to be clear. I sent you into exile. The, the reason you're in Babylon The reason you're there in captivity is because you failed to repent, you failed to heed the warning I lovingly, faithfully gave you. I gave you a chance to repent. I told you if you don't repent, here's what will happen. He he didn't leave anything, you know, uncovered. He said, here's what's going to take place. I'm letting you know the whole situation. They didn't repent. So sure enough, faithful to his word, Faithful to his plan, God allowed them and orchestrated for them to be taken captive. God's word even says that he put it in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, that he raised up Nebuchadnezzar for this purpose. And so this message is to 
the people of God, specifically the people of Judah, living in exile and captivity in Babylon. This is to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. This is really important. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So in other words, God is saying, I orchestrated this. I took you out of your land. I sent you in exile into captivity into Babylon. That was from me. But that doesn't mean life as you know it should be over. And I don't want it to be. I want you to still live your life in the situation that you're in, in the circumstances you find yourselves in. It's not what you want. It's not how you would probably see it as ideal, but it is what it is. It is the situation you're in. It's what you're going to have to deal with. You need to just go about life and pursue your own well-being, pursue the well-being of the place that I have placed you. And this, this is a really good example of how we can, like I said just a few moments ago, how we can apply a principle from God's Word, even when we can't apply the specific circumstances found within that specific context. And this is a a great example of that. We certainly can't apply the circumstances that are taking place in this context that we're just reading about, right? I mean, we're not living at this time. We're not in Babylon. We're not the people of Judah. So we certainly can't apply the specific details, but this principle, especially found in verse 7, is a principle that every Christian living in every age, in every area, should absolutely apply. Wherever we are, we have been sovereignly placed there, even if it's only temporary. So wherever you're at, Wherever you've been at, as a child of God, you aren't there by accident. You're not there by coincidence. Even though all kinds of different events and activities and circumstances took place to uh, have you be where you are, you know, that they came together in a way, uh, variables were definitely in place and, and details and specifics were there. I'm not saying that none of those things are are true or were a reality, but I'm saying over all of that, what we absolutely have to believe is even down to the details of things like where we are living, the jobs we have, the families we have, what we do, who we are, all of those things that are just life stuff, even that is part of God's sovereign work in and through us and on our behalf. So wherever we have been put, we have been put by the sovereign hand of God. And so while we are where we are, wherever that may be, we need to be intentional 
about occupying for the kingdom. Occupying for the kingdom. We need to remember our dual citizenship. We need to remember that we are, first and foremost, as people who are in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of a kingdom. Above and beyond being citizens of a city or a state or a a country. And so we need to keep that in mind. Remember that. We need to remember our ambassador status. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that if we are in Christ, not only are we a new creation, but as we have been reconciled to Christ, then we, the reconciled, are given the ministry of reconciliation. That God, through Christ and through us, is appealing to everybody around us, be reconciled to me. As we have come to God, as we have found reconciliation, then we are made ambassadors of that very gospel. How about that? We are ambassadors of the gospel that we received that made us restored to God. And so we need to keep all this in mind. You're not living right here in wild, wonderful West Virginia by accident. You're not living here even completely, though your choice is part of it for sure, but it's not completely just your choice. It's what God brought together and designed and orchestrated and led in you being here. And for some of you, that's not a great thing. And sometimes I get that. Sometimes I I agree with that. There are times where, yes, I say, God, why didn't you have me over here, over there? Why didn't you keep me over here, over there? Because, I mean, we were over there and over here at different points. But guess what? There's no doubt about it. God has me here. And He has me here for a purpose and a reason. And I need to embrace that and celebrate that and be good with that. And so do you. Why? Because we have a perfect Father, that is our perfect sovereign. It's not like we have a fallible person that's sovereignly, you know, pulling puppet strings. It's not that at all. We've got a perfect, so, so good Father that is our perfect sovereign. And that, that should be a great encouragement to you. That we've got a God who doesn't make mistakes. We've got a God who is not fickle. We've got a God who is consistent and who does have your ultimate good always in mind. Isn't that encouraging? So, verse 7 especially, seeking the welfare of the city where, where uh, we are placed and praying to God on, on its behalf, knowing practically in its prosperity or in its welfare, we will prosper, we will find our welfare. And above all of that understanding the ultimate prosperity the ultimate welfare the ultimate fulfillment is found in knowing Jesus Christ and so if you're in Christ if you know him you have this incredible chance Christian to be the ambassador of your savior right where you are you have this incredible chance to be a proclaimer of the gospel that everybody around you needs to hear. You have the only remedy for everyone's worst symptom. Their sin. Their separation from God. You have that. 
and you've been placed where you are strategically, sovereignly, so that God can use you to bring that to everybody else around you. Now, with that in mind, let's jump back in the text. Verse 8. Verse 8 says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. So after he, he got done saying all that, yes, you're here, yes, you're in Babylon, you need to embrace it, you need to understand, I put you there, and even though you're in exile there, you need to just go about life and, and accomplish a purpose, and accomplish the purpose that I have for you there. And then he elaborates and he builds on that. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Why? Verse 9 tells us, tells them, tells us. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Wow! I mean, isn't that, isn't that just, just startling? Like, chilling? I mean, you kind of feel the weight of that, right? That there are these prophets and diviners who are prophesying and dreaming dreams and saying they have visions and they're proclaiming that. And, and here's what, what they were actually saying. They were saying, you're not going to be here that long. Your captivity... Your exile, take heart, celebrate. You're not going to be here long at all. It's only going to be a short time. In fact, in no time at all, like, like next week, next month, God's going to just overturn uh, your, your captives. He's going to undo the, the power of Babylon. He's going to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to release you. You're going to go back to Judah. Everything's going to be great. That was what they were saying. That was the message that they were proclaiming. They were saying, don't, don't listen to Jeremiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's what God's really going to do. He's going to just undo all your bad circumstances. God doesn't want you really to be in exile. God doesn't want you, you know, to, be, to be down in any way. God doesn't want you to have any difficulty. This is just a short little blip on the radar no time at all, you're going to be riding high again. You're going to be living your best life now. But God says, no, that's not at all what I said. That's not at all what my message is for you. That's not at all what, what I want to be proclaimed in my name. I didn't send them. I didn't say that. I didn't lead them in that way. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not even a year from now. 70 years. 70 literal years that were appointed for not just Judah to be in captivity, but 70 years that were appointed for Babylon to be in power, to be the world power. 70 years appointed. Sovereignly set up. And he's saying, after that 
that designated time, yeah, I, I will come to your aid. I will fulfill my promise. I will bring you back. But it's going to be 70 years before that happens. And then as a result of, of that, we come to the all-familiar, all-quoted, uh, all all-engraved uh, verse. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know... The plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's literally, uh, to give you a future and a hope, that's literally an end and a hope. Or a hopeful end. In other words... What you're experiencing now, it won't last forever. There will be an end to it. And you have reason to hope that it's not going to just go on and on and on and on forever. But that doesn't mean it's going to end now. It doesn't mean that it's going to be instantaneous. It doesn't mean that the ordeal you're in isn't going to continue because it is. But none of that means that I don't still have good plans for you. The fact that you're in Babylon, in captivity, in exile, it doesn't mean I've forgotten about you. It doesn't mean I've ceased to be God or to be good. It doesn't mean that there's no reason to hope. All of that's still true, superimposed on the fact that you're still in Babylon and you're going to be in Babylon. You see, this promise... This promise was specifically made, this is so important to get, this promise, verse 11, was specifically made to the ancient Jewish people under this particular Babylonian exile. But it still expresses and points to the unchanging heart of God toward all His people. And... Like all of God's promises, this promise finds its ultimate fulfillment through Christ and its ultimate blessing for those that come to Christ. So you see how we can, we can take what's going on in a specific situation and not apply the specific circumstances to our circumstances and yet still draw application. You see how that works? With that in mind, let's continue on in the text itself. Verse 12. So, verse 11, he just got done saying, Hey, I haven't stopped having plans for you. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for welfare, not, not for evil, to give you a, a hopeful end. Verse 12. He's, he's looking ahead. He's saying, when that is realized, when that comes to fruition. Verse 12. Then... Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Which they had not been doing prior to this exile and this captivity. Hmm, I wonder, could God be trying to do something in their hearts Hmm, I wonder, could God be taking difficult circumstances and using it for their ultimate good to bring them back to Him? Yep. 
when you're faced with, here's, here's the application part again, when you're faced with circumstances and situations that are difficult to say the least, and you just don't get it, you don't understand why, you don't see why things aren't ending when you thought that they should be ending or you hoped that they would be ending and they're not ending, the bad just keeps on being bad. And you look around even outside of your own life and you look around at the world around you and you say, my goodness, what is going on? Why is, why is there so much bad? Why is there so much disappointment and discouragement and darkness and goodness, is there just no end to this? Yes, there will be an end. There will be a hopeful end. But maybe, just maybe, like what God was trying to accomplish in the people of Judah, I think it's worthwhile for us to stop and step back and get that big picture and remember that God often desires to do the same thing in us, which is to use difficult days to make us more aware of Him and to make us more inclined to pursue Him instead of the lesser things we so often pursue. Because we are really good at pursuing lesser things, are we not? And many, many, many times it takes God ushering in sovereignly, ushering in brokenness into our lives, into our circumstances, into our situation to break us away from the things that have us when only He should have us. It takes Him breaking away the lesser things to make us want the best thing. You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you. Isn't that good news? There's the the hope. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's great. Yay. But here's the thing. As good as that declaration and promise was, and it was really good, really hopeful, but as good and as hopeful as all that was, it didn't change the fact that almost all of the people that heard it died in their exile and their captivity. Seventy years. I mean, here's the the message, here's the announcement. I know the plans I have for you. Plans of good and not for disaster. Plans of of, welfare, not of of evil. Plans to give you prosperity and, and welfare and to give you a hopeful end. Great, yay! But it would be 70 years. And most of these people would not live to see that promise fulfilled. They would die in Babylon die in captivity, die in exile. So what does that mean? What does that tell us? What does that show us and teach us? What did, what did God want that to teach them? It's this. God's plans to prosper us don't include shielding us from any adversity. And that is so key. God's plans to prosper us don't include shielding us from any and all adversity. 
And that's the danger of taking a verse like Jeremiah 29.11 or Romans 8.28, which we'll look at next week, very closely related in concept to this. The danger of taking those verses and running with it is that it promotes the opposite of that truth. It promotes the opposite of the fact that God's plans to prosper us don't include shielding us from any adversity. It's, it's very, very easy because, like I said at the beginning, when you, when you miss the context intended, you can make the text say anything you want. So what happens all the time, all day long, is you get people that take Jeremiah 29, 11 in particular, and they say, ah, see, see, you're meant to prosper. You're meant for nothing but welfare. You're meant for absolute blessing. You're meant for the windows of heaven to be open. You're a child of God. You're meant to step into all of this prosperity that is yours. God doesn't mean anything but prosperity for your life. See, see, it's right there. And so we put it on bumper stickers and we put it on coffee mugs and we, we build entire empires around that verse when that is not at all what God intended or proclaimed. You see the danger? The deception? And unfortunately, millions and millions of of people are continuing to embrace that deception and running with it. And they're running away from the truth of God's Word and the God of the Word. The Bible is full of examples of people that knew that God's plans to prosper us don't include shielding us from any adversity. Think of, think of all the, the, the disciples, the apostles. Think of Paul, my goodness, all that Paul went through. I mean, you can read about all of that in his letters where he says, I know what it is to suffer, and yet, and yet I couldn't possibly have any better prosperous life than to be a servant of Christ and of the gospel despite all the adversity. You see, here's what people like Paul knew, experienced, and it's what we need to understand and experience as well. Tough times and trials are big parts of the process God uses to perfect us. And I know that's not easy to hear. That's not what we want to hear. That's not comfortable but it is nonetheless the absolute reality of what it means to be in God's family, in God's kingdom, and part of God's plan. Tough times and trials, which we all have. We all are going to have. It's what it is to be in this life. Tough times and trials are big, big parts of the process that God uses to perfect us. And I stress process, process. Process is the way that God usually operates rather than it being an instantaneous work. I'm not saying He never does anything instantly, but usually, for the most part, God operates in process. And that's hard too. Because we don't like, we don't like the wait. We don't like processes. We want it here and now, especially I mean, now in this age total instant gratification. We're used to that. I mean, we get fed up if, if our internet buffers longer than five seconds, right? We, we hate a 10-second commercial. It's like, come on, come on. 
we're all about the instant. God is all about the process. We need to reconcile that. Come around to His way of operating. And it's all too easy, especially in our culture, in our society, it's all too easy to develop a very dangerous way of thinking about God and His character and the way He does things. It's dangerous and and easy to think and see God like a UPS driver delivering all of our Amazon treasures, you know? I mean, we all keep UPS in business, right? Some of you more than others. You know who you are. We love that Amazon. Click, click, click. And if we're not careful, we, like so many other people have and do, we can think of God like our personal UPS driver, delivering all these Amazon treasures. We think that, that you know, we think about what we want and we place it in our little prayer basket and poof, he just brings it right to the doorstep of our life. Aren't we happy? But friends, God is not a divine delivery man. He's the perfect sovereign over everything. And he's the perfect father for all that personally know his son as Savior. And what that means is this. It all comes down to this. We need to bring our view of prosperity into alignment with God's view. Not the other way around. We need to bring the way we view prosperity into alignment with the way God views prosperity. The way He goes about bringing that prosperity. Not trying to get His way to conform to ours. Not trying to get him to operate according to our mode of operation or our preferred means of operation. And the way God views prosperity and the way he wants us to prosper is found among other places, but it's, it's so clear and beautiful in the way it's expressed in this passage, 2 Peter 1, 3-4. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 gives us a really good picture of how God really does view our prosperity. What that really means to Him and how He wants us to go about that. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. God's Word. And I would remind you, Peter, the Apostle Peter, is writing to his fellow Christians, the church, and specifically He is writing to Christians that are facing intense persecution, trial, tribulation, suffering. That's the context in which this is written. Keep that in mind. His divine power, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That's Jesus. Through the knowledge of Him, Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, by His own glory and goodness, that's the these, that's what's pointing back to that. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises 
so that through them, through those very great and precious promises, you may, and don't miss this part, this is like fireworks, this is dynamite, so that through them, those great and precious promises that we've been given by the one who called us by his own glory and goodness, here, here's the, the culmination, ready? It's the explosion. So that you may share in the divine nature. Mic drop. I can't believe you're just sitting there. Maybe you're just in awe. I mean, do you get what that's saying? That God, through His divine power, He's given us, believer, everything we need, everything required and necessary to live life in a godly manner. And He gave that to us through the knowledge of Him, Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness, given us very great and precious promises that through all of that, that we actually can partake in, share in the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God. That's not what that's saying. What that's saying, though, is that we have access to the very power of God. We have access to the character of God. We are able to take on to our own limited, feeble, fallen, failing, sinful nature, the perfect, righteous nature of our Savior. We've been made to share in it. Wow! And what's the purpose of it all? What's the result of all that? Escaping, it's the end of that verse, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Friends, that's how God defines prosperity. That's how He views prospering. And that's how He wants us to view it. That's what He wants us to come around to. That's the way He wants us to prosper. Like this. Not, just to, not to have more stuff. Not to get a bigger house. Not to have that vacation home that we've always wanted. Not to have the... Uh, a car that makes everybody stop and stare, not to have your kids in the very best college, not to have influence and prestige, not that necessarily any of those things by themselves are wrong and evil, but the pursuit of all of that is not what God wants our pursuit to be. He wants us to pursue this, His divine power, that has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He wants us to pursue the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He wants us to pursue His very great and precious promises that that we can share in the divine nature by them and thus escape and avoid and, and not be tainted by the corruption that is in the world all around us. That's prosperity, friends. That's prosperity. And that's what God plans for all who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. It is powerful. It is alive. It is relevant. Help us to be careful, so careful. Oh, Father, help us by Your Spirit, our great illuminator, our great teacher, to be so careful not to miss the context of Your Word when we read it. Not to find cut and paste specific verses that suit our preferences or our 
our whims that that match our agenda and our ambition or our comfort or our preference, but rather help us to be faithful to mine Your Word for its riches, for its truths. Help us to come to Your Word empty that we may be filled. Not to come full of all these different things that we want to make the Word fit. Thank You that You do have plans for all who are Yours. All who come to You through Christ, oh, what plans You have for us. What great and precious promises, as Peter said. But Father, help us to make sure we understand it's not for the temporal. It's not for the here and the now. It's not to build our own empire or our own personal kingdom. All that You've given us is is to make us more like Your Son and to further His kingdom. May we know Your Word truly and truthfully and accurately and clearly so that we can know You clearly and accurately and then be more like You as a result. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.